All right, race fans, Ryan Eho here and the one and only Bert Lehman. Bert, how you doing over there in eastern Wisconsin? Doing all right. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night, and uh, it's like 30 degrees outside, thundering and lightning. We're supposed to get rain, ice, snow, everything that uh, all the seasons bring. You're not, you're <laughs> swearing. Is this a kid-friendly <laughs> show? You ain't supposed to say rain, snow. That is, that is fucking terrible <laughs> okay well we're we're supposed to get one to two inches of rain here so uh we're supposed to get snow here so yeah we we don't like precipitation unless it's overnight because let's face it Bert, some racetracks they can use the water overnight right but not during race time so episode number 122 of course brought to you by dirt track supply over in watertown south dakota Home of the Aero chassis. If you need, if you need parts, if you need stuff worked on, fabricated, you need a new chassis. Tires are coming, knock on wood, soon, right? Um, if you need that stuff, get a hold of Ron, get a hold of Trevor. Bert, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, Trevor's down in Bristol right now, running the open mods, and actually got a heat win here tonight. I haven't. The feature hasn't started yet as we're doing the show, but uh, Trevor Anderson already in victory lane over in Bristol in the heat race. So good to see that. And you know what? Well, let's start with this. Let's start with some local stuff. Okay. And and I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm I'm gonna give our a donkey award on this one. But I want your take first. So a couple weeks back, the Wasota Late Model Challenge series, they decided, you know what? There's a conflict here. Okay, new executive interim executive director Rod Lindquist recognized a problem. And was it going to affect a ton of car count? Not probably a ton, but a few for sure, um, including Jeffrey Massengill, who runs some open stuff that followed the Challenge Series last year. But they moved their opening weekend a week back to get off of the 50 grand to win Gary Land Showdown at Mississippi Thunder. Well, everybody's like, hey, that's great. They did that. That's awesome. They even went as far as looking at all the schedules. And they said, hey, there's no conflict. We'll move it back. Not a big deal. Hats off to Wissota. A couple days ago, a press release comes out from the Red Cedar Speedway and from Dirt Kings on the Tom Stiding. And, and I, Tom Stiding was a legendary racer in this area for sure. You know, so it's great that his family wants to kick in. But they're doing a Dirt Kings show and they literally scheduled it on the opening night of the structural buildings with Soda Late Model Challenge Series, which Bert pays 5,000 to win and 500 to start the feature at the I-94 SureStep Speedway. Oh, give me your thoughts on this deal. Well, when I originally saw the press release, my first reaction, well, I didn't know about the scheduling over the top of the Wasota Challenge Series when I first saw the press release. Um, but when I first saw the press release, the first thing that came to my mind is why would they have a memorial race for a Western driver for a Durking sanctioned race? Uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, uh, uh, that driver did race in Eastern Wisconsin quite often though, back in the day, um, this, here's a little bit of trivia you can, uh, use on some of your, your friends in the future. Um, but, uh, Tom Stiding actually, uh, finished in a tie because they 
couldn't determine who the winner was because they crossed the finish line at virtually the same time. Uh, he was in a tie at Seymour Speedway. I can't remember what year it was, but him and MJ McBride crossed the finish line. This was before I knew MJ, so I wasn't there, but uh, um, they crossed the finish line at virtually the same time and it was determined a tie. Uh, I actually have a picture somewhere. I'll have to, after the show, I'll have to see if I can find it quick. Uh, where both, both of them are, are by their cars holding checkered flags after the race. I think they should have made them go like overtime and go a couple <laughs> more laps because I am so absolutely against any competitive competition of any kind ending in a top, right? So go overtime, but that's a unique deal. You don't, you don't really see that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen that where they actually called it a tie, but uh, so Tom Stiding and MJ McBride tied at Seymour for a late model win. That's, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So, but now back to the subject that we were talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, I I wish they would not have scheduled over the top of the Wasota Challenge Series, you know, especially the first one, um, and. And, you know, especially 5,000 to win for that challenge series race. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Red Cedar Speedway does not have late models the weekend of the Dairyland. Is that correct? I believe that's correct. Okay. Not a hundred percent. I'd have to look. So okay. see me, me looking at it that way is like, okay, they gave up one week of late model racing because of the Dairyland. So it's like, are they supposed to give up another week of late model racing um, because the organization that's supposed to look out for them scheduled a late model race on a Friday night, which is typically a Menominee night of racing. Um, and I, got, I will say, no, they shouldn't give up a night of racing. They can still run late models, right? But don't have a special. I mean, there's all kinds of weeks to have a special, right? Because if they were just having a, I don't know what they pay on a regular night, I'm going to assume maybe a thousand bucks to win. If they're just having a regular show, that, that'll give the drivers a choice. Do we want to stay and race local and run for a thousand bucks or do we want to go follow the challenge series? Well, now the drivers are looking at it going, what is it? I think it's 3,007. Is that what it is to yeah, win? Like that, yeah, yeah. seven, of course, for Tom Stiding. So they're now they're looking at it going, well, it's 3,000 bucks at home to win. I don't know what the rest of the pay looks like or 5,000 to win traveling across the entire state of Minnesota. So that kind of, that throws a whole curveball in it. I don't think they should have had to take a night off of late models, but there's plenty of opportunities to schedule that special event on a different night. No, I, and I, I, I mean, I see, I see both sides of it. Um, I mean, and when I saw the press release too, I mean, like I said, that was before I knew the, of the scheduling over the top, but you know, I thought, well, this is very interesting. Cause I think this is the first time ever that Dirt Kings is at a Wissota track. Well, other than uh, they've been at Jim Falls, but Jim, Jim Falls didn't have a uh, late model late models with sort of late models on a, on a right. weekly basis. Not a regular late right. model track for sure. Right. Um, did they have, they didn't have one at Rice Lake, right? Rice Lake's always been challenge series. Correct. Correct. Stuff. Correct. Yeah, so that would be, well, S, I guess SK, kind well, of. Well, yeah. At, at least well, long enough till the lights went out, right? That well, was a 
<laughs> well, and see, they were supposed to race at SK this summer, but that's off the schedule now. So I, I imagine they were looking for a replacement for that race. And, right. um, you know, it's this one, I guess. <laughs> well, my, my take on it is this. <clears throat> I'm going to give a donkey award. I'm going to give out a pair of them because I don't know who's responsible for this. But the Red Cedar Speedway and the Dirt Kings, you both get okay because this scheduling on top of everybody frosts my ass it's ridiculous i don't get it i don't understand it and and their their defense is well i mean not many people follow the challenge series anyway last i checked red cedar speedway has a wasota late model challenge series show the mater memorial is a challenge series event so why you're essentially cutting your own throat right because on one hand, you're saying, well, not many people follow the series anyway, but then you schedule one? Well, that don't make much sense, right? There's plenty of time over the next two months to just look at it and say, hey, let's fit it in right here. But I, I just don't get it. I don't know who's responsible for it. I really don't. I, I mean, I don't know all the details, but I, you just look at stuff like that and it's like, Wissota gets a black eye all the time. Right. And, and quite honestly, I've thrown haymakers at Wasota quite a bit on this show. I have. But the fact is, they go out of their way. They did not have to get out. You know, they didn't have to change their date to get off the Dairyland showdown. They didn't have to. Probably right, right. would have only affected a few cars. But they looked at it and they said, really, that's not too far away. You know, that we, we let's just let's just do this right. Let's get off to the right start. And they try to do something good. They look at the schedule. There's I mean. There was no conflict at the time. The Dirt King schedule has been out for over a month already. It's like, what are they thinking? I, it just, it absolutely bothers me. And I, I actually called Rod Lindquist, the interim director of Wasota, And I said, what is your thoughts on this? You can tell the guy's probably a lot smarter than I am, Bert, because very politically correct, okay? <clears throat> he flat out said, you know, look, it is what it is. We can't focus on that. He goes, we're going to focus on making the best series we can. We've got a lot of things that we want to do to improve the series, improve Wasota racing overall. And he just completely deflected all the negative. It didn't get into like, well, I wish they would have did that. And I, I was impressed by that because he very easily could have ranted about like being mad about it, but he did not. He says, we're going to focus on making this series good is what we're going to do. And he goes, I'll be honest with you, weather could play a factor anyway. How do we know that that week, Menominee don't get a bunch of rain or Fergus? And I mean, there might not even be a conflict, right? But the fact of the matter is they're trying their best to make it work for everybody. They want to make it good. And, and let's face it, 5,000 to win, 500 to start. That's got to be the best challenge series um, payout for a, a one-night event ever as far as depth all the way through the field, I think I'm pretty sure the, the mater was probably pretty close to that. But other than that, that would be the two best ones. So I, it sounds like there's a lot of drivers that he's talked to that plan to follow the series this year. I hope so, because quite honestly, it's been terrible the last few years with just very, very few cars following it, really not a lot of interest. So it just sucks, right? As a fan of racing, to see somebody that's passionate about making it better, growing it, and the first thing he's got to deal with is a track that's having one of these races 
schedule another special on top of the opener. It just, it makes no sense to me, but we'll and, move on. And, and I, I mean, I agree with everything that you said. And uh, I mean, that's the surprising thing is the fact that Red Cedar has a Wissota Challenge Series race <laughs> and they're scheduling against the Challenge Series race. So, you right. know, I'm not quite sure how that, how that all came, you know, how that all fell into place that they decided to, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of variables that go into scheduling. Scheduling is a difficult thing, but I mean, know, promoters, series directors, track promoters, just please do me a favor and do racing a favor, right? Everybody that's a promoter is a promoter because they love racing. I, I think I'm pretty sure that's that's true. If that's the case, why not work together to try to make racing better for everybody? Well, and you know that was my initial reaction when I saw the press release was that you know because I've been I've been saying this on this show for probably since we started shortly after that I would love to see a co-sanctioned race between Dirt Kings and Wasoda and uh, you know co co-sanction one on the western part of the state co-sanction one on the eastern part of the state try to get some of the western guys to travel out east because normally they don't um but now with what just happened i don't i don't necessarily see some cooperation uh taking place in the future no i mean that, that definitely wasn't a step in the right direction right that's for sure. right and i think before you see a co-sanction type of deal I think Wasoda has to change their rules right. to make it more like the Dirt Kings were. And, and they tried it once and they didn't try it long enough. And I, I still think as a, as a race fan and somebody that's been involved with racing for a long time, that that's a possible deal. Take the tri-state package, the Dirt Kings, the Wasoda package, figure out how to make it work so they're all the same. So then you can have, on your end of the world, you can have a Dirt Kings, Wasoda Challenge Series co-sanctioned deal. On the opposite end, South Dakota, right, where, of course, you know, you got uh, Dakota State Fair Speedway out in Huron, they're actually having two tri-state races this year. Uh, sounds like there was a little conflict there with the former Wissota executive director. That's why that happened. And then you look at Aberdeen, Brown County, Miller, they have challenge series races. Well, I mean, it would be a perfect blend to have the tri-state and in challenge series, uh, you know, co-sanctioned in that deal. But uh, I guess we, one step at a time, right? First of all, we got to like not be like trying to cut each other's throats. I mean, come on, that, that just got to end. It, it really does. It's really got to end. So let's move into something a little bit more positive. We talked about it last week, the one to go show challenge that I have for all of you race car drivers out there, okay? <clears throat> help us help you, right? Because we all want the sport to grow, but marketing, promoting, eh, let's just say it doesn't happen most places throughout the country, at least not like it should, in my opinion. So racers, okay, put your cars in car shows, right? Go to the local car show. I know I'm going to tip of the cap here to Jeff Woods. Um, he's a race car driver, a modified guy, his kid races, and they put on a car show every single year, Bert for the Hibbing Raceway in Virginia, and uh, it's been happening for a long time. So something like that, super cool, right? But post that stuff on social media. 
get them car shows, get your, get your cars over to the schools, get your cars to your sponsors, get the kids involved, get people around your stuff and post that stuff all over social media. Tag us in it. We want to see it. And Marty Blizzard, a fan of the show, he actually posted today, Bert, on Facebook. He says, I have a challenge. He goes, if we can get two people to post that, to just go ahead and go post it on there somewhere that we did it, he is going to, and he's actually involved there with Oakley Schwantes Racing, runs a go-kart sponsored by Blue Line Bruce, right? I mean, come on. So he's got he's got to be our favorite guy to watch, right? Uh, we're going to have to keep a little bit of an eye on this kid this summer. Sounds like he's pretty excited about racing, Bert. But that whole group combined, they said, if we can get a couple people to do that, we'll give some free passes out to fans to go to the Tomahawk Speedway in Wisconsin. So I thought that was pretty cool. He's like, I don't need the free passes, but I'll I'll pay it forward and I'll give those free passes to somebody else. So, so racers, get your stuff out there, promote, get involved with some of that stuff, tag us in it, send us pictures, send us the stories. We love seeing that kind of stuff. I'll be honest with you. I did a little bit of it early in my career, but then as I got racing four or five nights a week, that kind of went to the wayside because I had to work on the car. Excuses are excuses, but let's face it. We're not, we're in a time right now, Bert, in my opinion, where this is needed more than ever. And uh, if people can do it, it's just going to be good for the whole racing community. Um, anything, anything going on in your neck of the woods for car shows, stuff like that. I know Menominee, Red Cedar Speedway, they just had their car show, a bunch of cars in there, but anything going on in your neck of the woods for that? Um, no, I mean, there's one in the middle of um, of March uh, in Clintonville, um, okay. but other than that one, there's really no car shows uh, that I'm that I'm aware of in yeah, so this keep, neck keep of the woods. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is probably... 10 at least 10 years ago but Shano Speedway used to have cars on display at one of the malls in Green Bay uh but from what I heard it was uh um I mean it was nice but the cars had to be ready to be put in the mall at x amount of time and you only had so long to get them ready and you know it, is I that mean, mall it, still open yeah yeah it is okay yeah okay Bay Park Square Mall in Green Bay, which is probably a half a mile from Lambeau Field. Oh, so kind of in the slump. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I, I remember, I as a kid, I loved those mall car shows. I loved them. Um, Hibbing, which they had the Iron Gate Mall in Hibbing, Minnesota, it's just, it's just non-functional. I think there's only like three things in the entire mall now. But I remember as a kid, malls and we don't need to get into this whole off-topic conversation malls used to be the place to go right oh there, yeah you know there was a lot of stuff going on they had all the food and movie theaters and arcades and they had i mean like hey let's go to the mall let's go to the mall and now we live in freaking wisconsin minnesota illinois we live up in the north to the life of me i don't understand why malls aren't popular because it's warmer inside than walking from the car to the mall but that's neither here nor there but I remember for years, Bert, them mall car shows, they were awesome. You know, I had my car in it. Um, my dad had his car in it. Several drivers from Hibbing had their cars in the mall car show. That used to be such a big deal. People look forward to that every single year. And, and uh, it's a tradition that I think is probably hurting racing, honestly, that it doesn't happen because so many people went to the mall before that when they saw them car shows, 
that was great marketing. Hey, let's get out to the track. Let's get there. And that kind of stuff just does not happen anymore. So I think that we got to, we, we just kind of, we got to figure out a new niche to make stuff oh. like that. I think the mall car shows kind of disappeared when Facebook came along. <laughs> they did, but I think <laughs> malls disappeared. When well, there is that off. also. <laughs> you know, so they're like, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? So, I mean, in our area, um, I think the only real mall in, I don't know, kind of like northern Minnesota at all would be Duluth. I mean, there, there's a few around, but they're just not popping like they used to be there's you got all these strip malls now and you know you got like all these stores have individual buildings now instead of all being tied in with a mall so that whole that whole thing is just different and you know it, it's just it's changed a lot as far as there's not malls there is the internet there's all that but you, you just got to figure out what it is where where are people going let's get race cars there and get people involved and i think that's what it's going to take <laughs> so Let's go to a blast from the past brought to you by Impact Health Sharing. So if you're self-employed, you're a farmer, if you pay for your own health care, um, chances are you're probably paying too much. I've been able to cut people's premiums in half, some saving over $1,000 a month for their family. Go to any doctor you want. You know, I can't promise you nothing, but I can promise you this. I can get you a quick quote and uh, reach out to me and uh, shoot me a message on Facebook, shoot me a text, shoot me a call, whatever you want to do. I can get you a quote. I can get you some information. And if I can help you keep some money in your pocket, that might help you get to a few more races. So help me help you. So Bert, number 122, honestly, <clears throat> I can't think of a 122. I, I couldn't. I'm sure there is one. If somebody has one out there, go ahead and post it in the comments, post a picture, post a story. I got several 22s, but I'm going to start with you. Who do you have for number 22? I have a couple of 22s from Eastern Wisconsin. Uh, the first is uh, Jeff Teschke. Uh, he is from uh, Bondewell, which is like 10 minutes from Shano. And uh, he raced late models at Shano Speedway in the early uh, 1990s. Um, and uh, probably one of the memories I have of him was uh, at the end of the year, you know, a lot of the Shauna late model drivers would go race at um, Marshfield the week, the week after the Saturday, the weekend after Labor Day, Marshfield always had a special when it was a dirt track. And he went there one year and I think a car stalled entering corner one and he didn't see it or he couldn't stop in time and he just plowed into it and really uh, messed up his car really bad. That was uh, a so, big pass. That was another big half mile, another yeah. big half. Now, was that pre-Wissota 100 era or post-Wissota 100 era? Because I remember that two weekends after, so it was a weekend after the World 100, um, the Wissota 100 actually started at the Marshfield Super Right, Street. yeah, this would, this would have been after that. This would have been in the... This probably would have been in like 1993 or somewhere in that range. Um, but yeah. And then the other one I have is uh, IMCA modified driver, uh, Joe Haffercorn. He was from Norway, Michigan, and uh, he drove to Shano Speedway every, every week to race uh, when the IMCA modifieds were first introduced at Shano Speedway. And here's some more trivia. 
Uh, he won the first ever IMCA modified feature at Shano Speedway. Okay, okay. Interesting. So all you IMCA fans out there, there you go. I, I still kind of, I'm still kind of bleeding with soda mostly, but you know, it's all right. We'll give them some love. We'll give them some love. So Bert, I'm going to start with a little trivia for you. This driver won the Mopar Million, which I think it still may be, and for sure it was at the time, the largest paying World of Outlaw sprint car race, um, 2003 at Eldora. Um, Blaney? 22, Bert, number 22, not 10. The wild child, Jack oh. Oddenchild, right? So, How do you know what his number was? <laughs> yeah, so I tell you, Keith is going to be awfully disappointed. Because, I mean, come on. How, you got Buggy Bobby out there. Sheldon Hoddenchild is second-generation driver. Jack Hoddenchild, of course, last year, um, remember he ran for Rico in kind of the farewell tour, like the last dance. I think he got upside down twice in that deal um, running for Rico. But uh, he won a bunch of races in his day. And let's face it, I mean, when you're in that era, you're racing against Steve Pinter right and sammy swindell so it was limited how many times he got to victory lane but interesting to me that that he had the biggest win not steve kinzer he had the biggest win for two hundred thousand to win at the mopar million so jack hottenchild in 22 now when i think 22 i think back i'm looking at this list here Bert. the word legacy comes to mind like the vast majority of every one, two, most of the people here that I'm talking about have left a legacy in dirt racing. So the first one, and, and thinking back as a kid when Modified start, first started, he ran, he ran six cylinders and he ran street stocks too, but Don Cobb. This guy was phenomenal. I mean, he won a pile of races from Brule, Wisconsin. His kid race is now Brandon Cop on National Rookie of the Year in the Wasota Modifies last year. Talented driver. He had a pile of wins. I'm looking forward to him having a, another great season. But I said, you know, what's something interesting about Don Cop, right? Because he's like, I mean, the guy's won a ton of races, especially up locally. But his first win was in a six-cylinder at the Iron River Speedway, which the track isn't even open. I think they have some demos there. And I remember going there as a kid with my dad, Bert, and our last name's Aho, right? And the announcer's like, Rudy, uh, 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 so Rudy in number 17, and he wouldn't even say his name. He's like, that's Rudy. And like, he's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I feel like I'm swearing. And I, that was at the Iron River Speedway. But Don Kopp, I tell you what, there's a guy right there, won a ton of races, had a parts truck forever. He's ran every class. He's ran late models. He's ran super stocks, modifieds, you name it. And the thing is, he's that guy, Bert, that everything he got in, he won it, right? So he was one of them rare talents that could jump in any class and go out there and compete at a high level. His kid is a student of the game, looking forward to see his career path grow. Now, another person I have <coughs> in this name right here, I don't want to say Eastern Wisconsin because it's not, but Central Wisconsin. I mean, this family, as far as Wissota drivers, is probably the closest group, core group of people to your area in this town, Phillips, Wisconsin. My goodness. Yeah. Who, who do you got? SpaceX. The SpaceX family. So, <laughs> a 
of course, you had Jeff and Randy Spacek. Randy retired now. He ran Supers forever. Jeff ran Supers, and then he's still running a Modified. And then their kids, Cole and Terrence Spacek, I'm telling you, this family as a whole has won so many races. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. I remember as a kid going to the Cedar Lake Speedway for the 100. I want to say they had a pair of white cars. They were both 22. I think Randy's had a blue number and Jeff's had a red number. I feel like their cars were in performance bodies at one point years ago in the old performance bodies catalog. I thought that was pretty cool, but they've won a ton of races and Cole Spacek, I mean, he's gone on. He's won, he won a few big ones up at the ABC Raceway. And Terrence Spacek, mark my words right now, he's going to be one of the top three Wasota Superstock drivers of the 2022 season. That kid was on a tear last year. Fairly limited schedule, but just about every single special. He ran up front, should have won the Wasota 100, Bert, but uh, he broke at the line, broke a set of gears. But Jeff and Randy Spacek have been doing it for a long time, at a high level, leaving a legacy, second-generation drivers just like Don Cobb. Another one here in this family here is somebody that I've known for a long time. Jeff knows this guy too, J.B. Stortz, the 22 J.B., no longer racing, ran a Superstock, ran a Modified. Both of his brothers raced, uh, Slade Stortz and Thad. Thad actually built my engines for a couple of years in the Superstocks. So J.B. Stortz, I used to be very good friends with the family. And then uh, another, here's, here's one for you. Late model driver, Bert, Cedar Lake Speedway, okay? Father-son duo, they both ran late models. They both ran modifieds. Dad, actually, I don't think the kid ran a winged car, but he probably did. I can't remember. But uh, dad for sure had a winged modified. Um, and they're from right by the Cedar Lake Speedway. I'll give you a the kid's number is number two. Remember, remember okay, you remember Mike Nutsman? Oh yeah. Yeah, Mike Nutsman, number two. His dad, Chuck Nutsman, was number twenty-two. And oh, uh, I didn't I didn't know his dad raised. Yeah, I yeah, there you go. Okay. So a little trivia. I stumped I feel accomplished <laughs> more than once. But Chuck Nutsman and uh, Mike Nutsman fixtures down at the cedar lake speedway for many many years of course legacy again father son both racing and uh i'm gonna jump up to hibbing now up to the hibbing area starting with number 22 and a half i had no idea this car even existed didn't even know about it <clears throat> but jimmy kittner which the late bobo kittner that would have been his uncle for all you northern minnesota fans you all remember bobo but jimmy kittner ran number 22 and a half don't know much about him i just thought it was interesting but Todd Kittner ran number 22. We call him Orv. And uh, his kid, again, legacy, Tyler Kittner, um, he, he had a pile of wins last year, three track championships at the tracks he raced at. I don't know if he got fifth. I think he got fifth in the Wasota National Standings for the Midwest Mod, just kind of shut her down at the end of the year. But legacy, so Todd Kittner, I remember him, Bert, right? This guy was volatile, talented racer, the kind of guy – Interesting, interesting fella, right? And what I mean by that is he's the kind of guy that if you needed some help working on something, at the drop of the hat, he's there. He has helped so many people that race at the Hibbing Raceway, working on their cars, set their valves, you name it, he does it, right? Has had his own auto shop. I think he still does. And uh, on the flip side of that, 
he had a very short fuse. Okay. And, and one of my memories, and he's probably going to be pissed for me bringing this up, but one of my memories is he got black flagged for something at the Hibbing Raceway. And I remember, I, I feel like he got black flagged and pulled off on the hook. And he sat out the window, flipping off the entire grandstands as they pulled his car off the track. Cause they were all cheering. Like, cause he was so volatile that it was, you know, you either liked him or you hated him. And he was that guy. And uh, he was very short fuse still to this day. When somebody gets into Tyler, he's probably going to get in your face and scream and yell. A couple of years ago, Bert, at the at the Grand Rapids Speedway Banquet, we were giving away the Sportsman of the Year Award. And uh, I called him up there and I'm like, you don't really get this. I gave him the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> so Todd Kittner, a great legacy in the Kittner family. And uh, the last one I have here, and this one is pretty cool. So we have all known that racing up at Thunder Bay was big for many years. The old Riverview Raceway, right? Well, this gentleman here, Richard Schutte, he ran number 22. I feel, I know he ran diamonds. I think he ran late models as well. I don't know a lot about his racing history, but I've seen a lot of pictures on 100 years of history at the Riverview Raceway. I think that's the group on Facebook. But this gentleman here was the visionary behind the new racetrack that is opening up this season. They, they kind of had their opener, I guess, a special last year, but they're opening up for weekly racing. And it was going to originally be Dairy Queen International Speedway. I feel like he owned some Dairy Queens or something like that. It was kind of tied in, but he kind of got the ball rolling for Thunder City Speedway in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. So Richard Schutte leaving a legacy um, behind getting that ball rolling. And, and I tell you what, man, the, the, the atmosphere of racing at the Superior Speedway, the Gondick Law Speedway in Superior, Wisconsin, I'm telling you, when, when the borders are open and all that, and you have a big special, I bet you 25 to 30% of the fans are from Thunder Bay. They travel well, and for years and years and years, when, th when racing was strong up in Thunder Bay, racing was strong in northern Minnesota because they all came down. They raced on Wednesdays up there. So I'm super excited for racing to be back. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, I got a little, little tidbit here. Late model driver, legendary, not Tom Nesbitt. Sorry, sorry, okay? The other legendary late model driver from Thunder Bay is... Joel Kreiderman. Joel Kreiderman. He's in a modified this year. Sean Polanowski, uh, who raced a 316, he's ran late some mods. He actually, they have two cars. They're each going to run them. So the, nor the Northern gentleman, Joel Kreiderman, is going to be in a modified this year. Super excited to see him back behind the wheel. He's way older than me, so I guess if he can come back, maybe I can get in a car too. We'll find out. But the, the I guess the legacy from Richard Schutte, I'm opening up a new racetrack. Super cool stuff. So a lot of a lot of history there, Bert, with number 22. But <clears throat> let's jump into the national recap, okay? A little bit of racing going on over this past weekend. This recap brought to you by Brad Parson. So farmers, the snow is melting. It's that time of season. you got to get your stuff in the ground. Planting season is coming. He has solutions for you. Whether you're looking to increase yields, increase profitability, both, whatever, get a hold of Brad. Been racing late model, raced super stock. I think he raced super stocks as well. Pretty sure he did. 
I shouldn't know that, but I, I'm pretty sure he did. He's a late model guy now. But the fact is, he has the products out there that are proven. Um, 15-year track record in the Dakotas, in Minnesota. Um, he's helped a lot of people. A lot of people are speaking very highly of the yields they're getting. You know, like I said last week, you don't need to maybe plant the whole field with his stuff, but give his stuff a try. Pick out a certain portion of it, test it. If it works for you, see if he can help you out. But Brad Parson um, can give you some great solutions for your egg, uh, for the egg industry. Get a hold of them. But this weekend, Bert, um, a few big races, and I would say probably the biggest race, or maybe depends on who you're talking to, Bristol Dirt Nationals. Um, it started last week. It's going on again this week. What is your take? Of course, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they had all, all kind of the, the secondary classes. And then Friday, Saturday, they had the, the 50 grand to win late model features both nights, and they ran their the support classes, ran their main events. What stuck out to you from Bristol? Um, well, one thing that stuck out to me was it just didn't seem to have the same pizzazz that it had last year. And we've talked about this the last couple of shows. Uh, some of that is just, uh, you know, last, last year was the first year that they did it. So, uh, um, you know, it had a lot of uh, buzz leading into it. Um, a lot less cars than there were last year. Uh, well, they've spread it out over two weeks now, rather than cramming everything into one week. So um, there were less divisions, but I mean, even the divisions that were racing there, there's, uh, I mean, I think last week, the highest car count was what, 40, 40 something, 40, low 40s? Something like that. And crate late models, which there was a ton of them last year, there was like, eight 602s last week and i think seven or eight 604s this week so i mean i mean actually i mean you know as we're recording this uh i mean the compacts have what 84 cars there i mean that's the that's the division that's out there in force but uh um watching it there were less drivers from my area so i didn't necessarily have the same interest i guess as i did last year because it's always more fun to watch a race if you know people who are in the race and uh there weren't as many local drivers from my area racing there but there were some there and they 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 performed very well down there so i mean that that was good to see and on the late model front i mean uh they had uh what was it mid 30s 37 or something like that late models cars than cherokee which surprised right that really surprised and um um i saw some comments from late model drivers and they were happy with the track Uh, it it was much smoother than it was last year um we didn't see uh, apparently they trimmed down the the dirtles a little bit and we didn't see any cars go flying around on the (laughs) because of the dirtles um but uh i mean it was it was good racing for, for the track. I mean, it's a big high bank track, so there's not going to be a lot of passing. It's, it's fast, but not you know, necessarily Jonathan a lot of passing. Davenport put on a hell of a show. Yeah, night yeah, one. 21st to 4th or something. So something like that. Yeah. I mean, there was passing to be had. I mean, but it's, it's a big half mile. Things get spread out kind of bottom dominant. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I think it was, it was okay. I wouldn't say it was great. I wouldn't say it was horrible. 
Um, I would say I mean, it was okay. Some of the support classes um, during the week, the Midwest mods and the stock cars, they had a couple of decent races. I mean, it, it did seem like they tried to get more of a cushion than they had last year. But the thing is that, you know, the track is just so fast that if you try the high side, it's just, you're just driving so much more distance that it just doesn't, uh, the, when it is good is when you can go up, hit the cushion, and then in the middle of the corner, drive down. <laughs> I was just going to say that the bottom coming off, there's so much banking holding them that they basically, I mean, you're on the pump and I mean, the car's just stuck to the racetrack. So probably they need to go with my opinion, you know, hindsight is 2020, but kind of arc the bank a little bit, you know, so that the bottom right now is so incredibly fast. And I think it's the same banking all the way up. It's hard to take a track and make it into something extremely racy when you put clay on it for a couple of weeks. And I mean, it was, uh, it was good to see uh black sunshine, uh, with a with a runner-up finish <laughs> yeah i mean team zero in fact on the second night finished one two possibly third depends who you're talking to right <laughs> you know you got fergie who back-to-back -back years for wins for fergie yeah. at crystal 50 grand this year that was pretty nice he's pretty happy with that bloomquist ran well the whole race ricky weiss he lost his spot on the restart on both restarts actually, but, or he, he actually lost a spot before the restart in lap traffic. I think Earl Pearson Jr. broke. And then there was a lap car and he just had to, he had nowhere to go. He had to check up on the brakes and that's how Fergie got by him for the lead. I, I honestly think if that didn't happen, Ricky Weiss wins that race. Cause I don't know that either one of them two were going to pass him if the race stays green. And if he was out front on the Delaware double file, I think Ricky kind of had that race in hand, kind of showed some good speed. Both nights qualified well, started right up front. So maybe a little sign of life for the seven car, which is a sniper. But according to Bloomquist, it's not a sniper. I'm not really sure. Yeah, he he he, he got to comment in that uh, it's, it's a zero car. So <laughs> he's like, he ain't built his own yet. I thought that was kind of bold. I didn't know what to think of that. I'm like, well, and of course, Chaz put that together, right? So, yeah, it's kind of one of them shots. And Ricky's following that whole series. He's planning on it. So I don't know that you want to start pissing off your, your <laughs> followers literally the first weekend. So I, I guess it is what it is. He kind of laughed it off is what I heard. I don't know the whole details, but I've heard. I mean, I've heard that some of his cars are just Bloomquist cars converted. I've heard that some of his cars are completely new. I, I don't know the whole story. I'm not in that shop, but everybody's got an opinion on it. I want to give a shout out to Brock Runwald, um, a, a Midwest mod driver from Wissota country went down there and, and flat out dominated that a name for 5,000 a win. And that uh, parked in victory lane there had a really good solid week down there, but they teched like crazy. <clears throat> like he showed pictures and I don't think he got torn down. I think that was just an actual tech, but his, his engine was all apart, right? Intake off, pan off. They went through the 2G car with a fine-tooth comb, and uh, he says, hey, hats off to my engine builder for building me a legal piece because it's all in pieces right now. And so he was legal, but interesting in the main events over the weekend, um, modifieds, several of them, multi, I think three of them, maybe four, deck heights were all high. So they, and, and interesting, they all got docked 
two spots, right? So Inclu including the driver who won the race, Shane Demain. Yeah, including <laughs> the winner. Now one driver, um, Oranger, I think is what his name is, Timmy Curran's car, they actually got disqualified. Okay. And I'm like, well, how's that? How's he get disqualified for decade? Well, according to Barry, they were messing with the car. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> I don't know if they were trying to bounce on it or if they were trying to get the deck height lower, but evidently they were in in uh, the tech area doing something they weren't supposed to. So that's why they got DQ'd. But from what I read online, IMCA started a new deal last year where things like wheelbase, um, deck height, stuff like that is not a DQ. It's a two-spot dock. I don't know how I feel about that, right? I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. What is your thoughts? I mean, if you're illegal, I mean, and, and let's face it, I mean, a quarter inch high on deck height isn't going to be a determining factor on winning a race. It's just not. Um, an eighth inch short on wheelbase, probably the same thing, because it's, especially cars get all that roll steering them anyway, not a, not a, probably a huge determining factor. But if a car's caught, not meeting specifications should they be disqualified or should they be docked two spots what's your take on that well this is the the first that i've heard of the IMC. i mean i'm i'm not an expert on imsa rules so uh this is the first that i heard that you know that last year they changed it to docking the two spots and yeah i'm not sure how i feel about that either i mean my feeling is if with that change they must they must agree that the deck height really doesn't make a difference but if you don't meet the if you don't meet the standard you're going to get penalized somewhat well i you know i'm curious to see how it's going to work is it going to work that way for if you're light right if you're if you're five pounds light at the scale are they going to dock you two spots or dq you what's what's a dq and what's docked i, I don't know um if you're the you know if you if the winner gets dock two spots and you're the fourth place driver are you mad because you you technically lost to a car that's not meeting the rules that's interesting yeah. it was interesting to me um we'll see how that plays out i'm gonna kind of watch the imca banter over the course of the season to see how what the buzz is like on social media when in in relation to that i know this was not an imca race but sounds like imca adopted that and then he just kind of took that into his own hands to do it at the XR races. Kind of interesting to me. Um, the stock car race, Dallin Murdy dominated. That's that kid. Remember last year he won yep. and he pulled into town. They had the big parade for him. Well, he won again. D uh, he got docked two spots as well. Not DQ, but he was deemed illegal. And so on. A, if you're looking at his car, and I'll post a picture here for people to see. But on the rear downs on the roll cage, the ones that come off the back of the cage down through the rear deck tin, he actually had two pieces of plastic zip tied, kind of looked like rudders. I don't know. I mean, they they probably had nothing to do with anything as far as performance. Just well, maybe, in my opinion, maybe I don't know. I haven't had the car on a wind tunnel. But he got docked for it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna finish this statement. I'm gonna then I'm gonna have you weigh in. So the big debate was this. He had that last year, ran it last year. There's pictures of it, right? Uh, on and there and there's video. 
So he ran it last year at Bristol, no issue. He ran it Tuesday. He ran it Wednesday. He ran it Thursday. Won a prelim feature, was through tech, never said a word, right? And then he comes across tech at the main event that actually pays, and they docked him there. Thoughts? Well, my thoughts is what happened last year doesn't is not part of this equation because that was last year. But the fact that he had it on the entire week and went through tech several times <laughs> throughout the week and nothing was ever said. So, I mean, if nothing is ever said, you know, it must be OK. And then, um, you know, they 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 gonged him on on Saturday and. To me, though, he is so fast. I mean, he's above everybody else that was racing. Why even put those on in the first place? I mean, you're so much faster than every because, I mean, he started mid-pack and he, you know, because um, while he was leading, I think, the first qualifying night and then he broke something broke. And uh, but then he so, you know, he had to start back a little bit in the main feature. But, you know, and. I mean, his dad also races and his dad must have told the people ahead of the ahead of time that, you know, if, if if his son gets out front, it's over. I mean, and, you know, he's just so much faster than, you know, he's just got a lot of talent and, you know, car must be set up well and well, he has the fins. And you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't think the fins had anything to do with how fast he was. You know, it's one of those things. And, and I get it. He's, he's young and whatever. And, and myself right for whatever reason we just thought it was cool superstitious maybe we had zip ties on them rear downs just two of them you know that were yellow and we're like that make you fast that was just kind of in our head hey gotta have them make you fast period they didn't affect nothing it was just a mind right mm -hmm. we even had um before that where i went down to florida and i'm not going to take credit for it because i saw it on jared lander's car because I followed him around the racetrack at East Bay until he got a flat tire and let me by, which was very nice of him. And he had these gear ribbon streamers underneath his car, right? These fluorescent orange, you know, that roll of deer ribbon streamer. He had them underneath the car. And I'm like, that's kind of cool, you know, and because people are kind of looking at that, you know, you've got to be paying attention to the right thing. And I just thought it was cool. So I figured out what the hell we're going to do that too. And I remember, uh, with soda at the meeting they're like hey we're gonna ban those and we kind of made a mockery of it right we kind of joked around and they just kind of blew the whole deal off in fact what happened bert so at lunch we had the agenda and on the agenda right it said ban ribbons under the race car right so me and uh john callis from michigan went to the local hardware store and picked up some deer hunting ribbon and we came back and Crash Carlson, who was the promoter at the Proctor Speedway, loved the guy to death. We, we made him up like the ultimate warrior. We had ribbon around his head, around his arms. And literally, as, as just right before that meeting was coming back into session after lunch, we pushed him in on a luggage cart into the Wasota Rules meetings, pushed him through there, and we're like, well, this ain't distracting, is it? And we're like making a big scene, right? And, and I remember Lane Roberts from Wilmer, he stood up, he goes, are we even going to freaking vote on this stupid shit? Come on, let's just move on to the next thing. End this topic, move on to the next thing. It never even got voted on. Some of the people at Wissota were not happy with me because 
they, they're like, we made a mockery out of the whole deal because I was the only guy that had it. Right. And it was, it was Billy going, you can't have that kind of stuff. It's like, it didn't matter. We just kind of did it to be a smart ass or be dumb or funny. It's kind of the same thing here. Right. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't affect nothing. It's two fins going this way. Right. They're not even like pushing air down onto the deck tin or nothing. When they first said fins on the back, I thought it was something facing down. So the air would come down to the deck. It wasn't even like that. Now, I'm not going to say it has no effect. I don't know that. Again, I'm not at the wind tunnel, right? But the fact is, it's drivers, you just got to be smart, right? I mean, you know dang well that some some tech guys, if they can DQ you for something, they're going to. If it doesn't affect the car, if you don't need it, don't run it. If you want to put it on there, talk to the tech guy. Say, can I have these on there? Is it a big deal? Then if they tell you that you can't DQ you, now you have grounds to be pissed off, but I think he learned a valuable lesson. He's dang lucky. For, he's lucky, right? Because he could have been just DQ altogether. They gave him third, right? So he's still got third. Now he still wanted to win. I don't know. I don't know these people from the man on the moon. I don't know their financial situation. I know some drivers financial situation. And if they drove all the way there, they needed that check. I don't know them at all. So I don't know that to be true but he wanted the trophy, but I think he learned his lesson, but I'm going to flip it around to this donkey award to tech guys who pulled this bullshit, right? Because seriously, like you said, you, you hit, you hit a spot on, he ran it Tuesday. He ran it Wednesday. He ran it Thursday. He went through tech. He won. They saw it. Everybody knew it was there, right? Is it that difficult for a tech guy to walk up and say, Bert, look, here's the deal these fins here technically by the rules you're not supposed to have them just cut the zip ties off don't care. that's not that difficult i mean the purpose of a tech guy should be to create an even playing field for all the participants not to be out to get someone oh i got them i got them come on you know so tech guys right just don't do that if you see something you know if you if there's a big difference between somebody flat out cheating right in trying to gain a performance advantage in some stupid body rule something like that that is meaningless and i get it rules are rules but you don't have you don't have to roll that way they could have very easily walked up to him and said hey you got to cut them off can't have them not a big deal i remember going to florida with my modified with john carpenter's modified actually and we got to got to, um to ocala and the ump tech uh, officials were all there and they had a pre-tech and I assume they got pre-tech at Bristol. I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming they do. And if they if they have pre-tech, that's really stupid if, if they have pre-tech, okay? But they had pre-tech, and they said, hey, you got to fix this, this, and this. Was I happy about it? Nope, <laughs> I was not. I don't want to fix stuff. But I was a lot more happy that I fixed it and had a chance to go race. Even Billy Engelstad, who I think is public knowledge that we don't always get along. I think that's fair, right? Back in the super stock days, there was a you had to have a rear deck. Remember the remember on the back of like modifieds and supers, they used to have that back panel below the deck tin. It was nine inches high. A lot of cars had that. That was a rule. It had to be nine inches. Okay. And he came by and he's measuring stuff. And we were always pissed off because he's measuring body stuff and he measured it and it was eight and like seven eighths. I mean, it was like an eighth is three sixteenths too short. And he's like, Ryan, he goes, you're going to have to fix that. 
I'm like, it's like an eighth inch. He goes, says nine, minimum nine. I'm like, okay. I said, well, if I, I just drill these two little pieces off here, the, the chrome pieces that kind of center over your hood pin studs, if I just move them down on the deck tin, it'll be over nine inches from the deck down. He goes, yeah, that'll be fine. Was I was a little mad about it, you know, but again, he came up to me beforehand and said, that's got to be fixed, fix it. So that way I don't have to DQ you. That's not that difficult to do. So what they did at Bristol, in my opinion, is, is horse shit. Um, I think that was absolutely terrible how they handled that situation with Dallin Murdy. And, and uh, again, he learned his lesson. So anything else on Bristol there, Bert, before we jump onto the next track here? Hey, yeah, Chris yeah. Madden. Huh? How about Chris Madden? Leading World of Outlaw points. Ops out goes to Bristol. Did oh, it pay it was the right decision, <laughs> at least so far. <laughs> yeah, night number one winner, 50 grand. That, that'll more than pay for what he's going to lose out on points for sure. But uh, what else sticks out over at Bristol to you? Uh, I just need to give a shout out to some of the local drivers from my area who went down there. Uh, like I said, there was less of them this year, but uh, the ones who did go down there, uh, they found some, some success. Um, once all the... Uh, DQs and docking of positions and everything was over in the modified division. Uh, the second place, the official second place car of Jeremy Hedrick uh, is uh, uh, from Embarrass, Wisconsin, which is like five minutes from Shano. He's okay. a former, he's a former modified track champion at Shano. Uh, he's raced late models uh, in the past. Uh, uh, um, he's number 19. So we talked about him a, a couple of shows ago. Uh, but yeah, he officially got second. I mean, he crossed the finish line in fifth, but he, he got paid for second once everything was said and done. And then, the, oh, and then also a multi-time uh, track champion at Channel Speedway, Marcus Yari, uh, I believe he finished eighth or so in the, in the modified, don't quote me on the, on the, on the position he finished and it was seventh or eighth, somewhere in that range. And in the, in the IMSA stock car division, uh, Dan Machansky, uh, former, uh, he's won a track championship at Channel Speedway in the IMCA stock car division. Uh, he officially finished uh, seventh in the in the IMCA stock, well, in the stock car feature, not IMCA, in the stock car feature at Bristol. Yeah, and there's a few guys from our area down there. I'll touch a little bit more on that on next week's show because there's a few down there this week in the modifieds. Of course, Trevor Anderson, heat winner, I haven't seen anything from the features yet, so hopefully he does well there. But let's jump over to Cherokee. So they had the Rock Galt Memorial World of Outlaw race. Of course, the Thaw Brawl canceled at Davenport. And they had the um, race down in Cherokee, and I talked about it. That place has been terrible, right? Rubbered up one lane. And quite honestly, it was dusty the first night, but the racing wasn't too bad. Um, the, the, the track was considerably better. It did lock down on day two, just too long of a race. If they would have shortened up the laps to 30, 40 laps, it would have been a lot better, but it rubbered up uh, probably the last 30 laps of that deal. But they had, I was surprised because um, it was 20 grand to win. I think it was 10 and 20. More cars at Cherokee than Bristol. And Bristol was 2,500 to start, $50,000 to win. And they had more cars at Cherokee. Does that surprise you? 
Um, it surprised me a little. I think that, um, I mean, I didn't look at a rundown of the entire field, but my guess is that uh, that's the strong uh, regional, strong regional car count from down in that area that helped uh, uh, make up that car count, which is, which is good though, when you're, when your local drivers from your region can can compete against the national drivers of the Outlaw Series. Well, they competed well, right? <laughs> I mean, night number one, downtown Michael Brown parking in Victory Lane. Night number two, Max Blair, who I wouldn't consider him necessarily a, a local down there. I don't think, is he? He's from, he's not from down there, is he? No, he's from Pennsylvania, isn't he? Yeah, that's what I thought. So, but, you know, a couple people that I thought were surprise winners that first night, especially, let's let's face it, Brandon Shepard got screwed on night two. It just is what it is. Now, I don't remember who picked him down there. I think it was you. Um, so that was good to yeah. see. That was, okay. that was okay. But, uh, you know, kind of what happened there, he's getting through lap traffic. And it looked to me like Brent Larson picked up a push. I don't know if he hit a hole or what. Might have hit a little rut. The car just shoved the nose up the racetrack Shepard had nowhere to go had to dynamite the brakes to not pile into the side of them caution comes out no fault caution Brandon Shepard to the back his night essentially over because it's it's tough to pass I mean let's face it you ain't gonna win from the back pretty much anywhere in in that caliber of racing not very often and a track like that that's not usually the the raciest track around I think I think Brandon Shepard had that one in hand. The no fault caution rule. I, I still hate that rule. We don't need to spend an hour on that. I've talked about that over and over, but that rule's got to go. Cedar Lake has it. It's just got to go. You saw that ordeal. What what what's your take? Well, I mean Larson definitely moved up on the track, and I mean that. Yeah, I mean Shepard had nowhere to go once that happened. But when I was watching it, even if larson doesn't move up on the track i think it was still going to be a difficult pass for shepherd to make because he had a lot of steam behind him and he was right there and there wasn't a lot of room on the outside so I, you know it would have been a difficult pass even if larson didn't move up but uh larson did move up which you know totally messed up shepherd yeah and i think i think he moved so far up the track because his wheels were locked left so I don't know if he picked up a push, hooked a rut, but he went from like a lane off the bottom where he was running to all the way across and all the way up the racetrack. And it was a bad deal. It was a racing deal. And, you know, I didn't really see too much drama. They're used to the rule by now as a fan. I absolutely hate it. As a former racer, I really hate it. But uh, I guess it is what it is. But Brandon Shepard, uh, he's, he's, uh, he was going to take over the point lead. But Dennis Herb Jr., who's been – solid all year Bert I have no idea can you when's the last time that Dennis Herb Jr. was leading World of Outlaw late I don't know I don't know <laughs> he's never won it right I don't I don't believe so yeah so I mean I mean I don't wish ill will on anybody right but it would be would it be good for racing if he could kind of grow that lead and kind of make something of it. I mean, it would be super cool to see somebody like Dennis Herb Jr. being in contention to win the World of Outlaw title, I think. No, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, I think everybody kind of had, it, 
thinks that it's a foregone conclusion that uh, Shepard's gonna gonna win the outlaw title, especially <laughs> right. since especially since all these you know some of the other drivers have dropped off the tour. Um, so everybody expects Shepard just, uh, you know, they're, they're almost ready to crown him right now, but, uh, yeah, it, it would be good if, if Herb Jr. could build up his lead and, um, I mean, it, it would be good for the sport. I think if he would win the championship, everybody loves an underdog story. And this would definitely be, I mean, not that Herb Jr. doesn't have the talent, but, you know, you know, he's going up against the rocket house car. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and he's known as the one-man band you know he right. had, you know it's him by himself and then he has Heather. You know, Heather yep. that travels with him yeah absolutely so let's jump off the of late models and uh did you get a chance to watch anything from humboldt i did not see any of so, that so they had a rodeo down there um and a race broke out they got rain first they canceled the, the couple weeks before and moved stuff back and and it rained. They had to cancel night one. Bert, it was rough. It was so rough that they canceled the USMPS feature the first night and ran it earlier the next day. I mean, it was, and, and the, the track promoters like, man, I apologize. Sounds like he even called some drivers and apologized. But I mean, I mean, spring racing, you deal with some rain, things are soft. It is what it is. Traditionally, that place is smooth top to bottom. It's not usually like that. But a uh, big shout out to the nightmare, Lucas Rodine, um, the 2021 Wissota Midwest Mod National Champion. He went down there with his SSR uh, Midwest Mod and absolutely curb stomped him. $10,000 richer, won that. In second place, uh, the Cowboy himself on a rodeo track, Travis Sauer, who has a pile of wins. He got second. Several of our drivers from down in, that re in, uh, in the Wissota region. But uh, really cool to see Lucas Rodine getting it done in the in the world of, or not the world of outlaw but in the usmps reigns jake o'neill sounds like he's waiting on an engine because we talked earlier that he's going to be racing primarily late model stuff sounds like he moved to tennessee heard an engine now he's back in a usmps modified and class of the field in that fifteen thousand to win race absolutely dominant in that jason good uh, out of all of our drivers in the wasota region the most consistent guy he's inside the top 10 in the points he he was right around 10th place in both features tyler peterson who we talked about winning at gateway your national champion last year in the wasota mods he finished on the podium in the first feature he got third so wasota drivers representing well and some good racing to be had of course this weekend they were going to go to webster city that is canceled um, due to weather, they just don't want to put them on a track like that. But uh, let's close out our session here on recap with the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars. They finished up a six race. One of them rained out, so it turned out to be five. But their swing out in California. Bert, what stuck out to you with the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars? Uh, once again, uh, good racing. Uh, once again, uh, Brad Sweet did not win. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, I can't remember which race it was, if it was the, the, the first one or the second one, but uh, um, when the top three cars get taken out in, in one accident, I thought, okay, my pick Brad Sweet's going to win a race, and he's still going to win a race. My guy was leading, right? I had gravel. <laughs> that was night number one. Yeah, so Buggy Bobby, Sheldon, I don't know what happened there. He was running in the back, and he crossed it up, and 
three of them pile up. Top, like you said, top three drivers out. It's like, really? And uh, so Sweet ended up, you ended up getting the points for that. Oh, no, you did not. No. You did not because Jeff had a, had a hot sauce, Giovanni Scalzi, who got his second win of the year, second of the swing even, and he made it four for four. And then night number two, though, they went to overtime because mm-hmm. there was a last lap altercation. Really good race. Really, really good race on night number two on the World of Outlaws. And David Gravel ended the streak, right? California was looking to go five for five. And I believe it was Macedo that was challenging him, who is a California guy. So there was a, it was very, very close to being five for five for the California drivers. Well, uh, David it, Gravel wrecked. In both of those races, Macedo was very fun to watch. I mean, he was right. he was using the cushion, and he was um, it, him and um, yeah, it was the it was the first race um, where uh, he, him and uh, and Geo they swapped the position. Uh, did um, Macedo did did a slide job first and then the next lap it was a slide job and then i don't know if you caught the um winner's interview with uh geo and he said when he did that slider i was going to do that right back to him in the next corner <laughs> i tell you those sprint cars they they don't disappoint of course the, the heat races just started here tonight they're at Bado um in new mexico so as soon as we're done with our show, I'm going to flip on the world of outlaws and see if I can catch the feature, but let's jump into our next, uh, next segment here. Who's hot and who's not brought to you by blue line brews. And, uh, let's face it. It's still cold up here. A couple days ago, zero, right? So I'm like kidding me. You got to have coffee. Plus let's face it. If you get up in the morning, which I don't, if I did, I'd drink a pot of it, but why not drink coffee from a company that supports the people that we support blue line brews, um, proceeds from that birth go a portion of the proceeds goes to families of fallen officers, families of injured officers. Check it all on, online, bluelinebrews.com. Pick out your favorite blend, give it a try. They have the K cups. I uh, just want to thank them for all they do. But who do you have, Bert? Who's hot? Um, I, just because uh, um, we've put them in the not hot list a lot, uh, I'm going to go with Ricky Weiss. I uh, he had fast time uh, at Bristol and uh, I believe a seventh place finish and a third place finish. So fresh uh, off the win right before that. Right, exactly. So, I mean, he, he, he's running really well right now. And, uh, you know, if we're going to say he's not hot, we got to say, you know, we got to give him his credit when, when it's due. Team Canada, baby. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm happy to see that. I, I want to see Ricky perform. He's he's one of our guys. I call him our guys because I've been a Wasota guy my whole life. And, you know, he's a former Wasota national champion multiple times. And great to see him maybe getting the things figured out. He's got the speed. That car was crazy fast at Bristol both nights and uh, two nights to go. He could be a sleeper. He could be a guy to maybe take home one of them 50000 to win paydays here this coming week. Um, I have Chris Smokey Madden. So he had, coming into this, he won at Volusia, and then he won at Cherokee, and then he won, then he, leading the World of Outlaw points, jumps off the tour, says, I'm taking a chance, I'm going for the money. Night number one at Bristol, $50,000 richer. Yeah, he got 12th on night number two, not sure what the deal was there, things happened, but three out of the last four, he parked it in victory lane. Chris Madden looking good in that 44 car. How about who's not? 
Um, I, I have to stick, stick with Brad Sweet. Um, he still can't get a win. Uh, he'll probably get a win this week because I've only I only picked him in one race this week instead of all of them. So uh, you know that that's the deal. If he wins <laughs> one of those nights that you didn't pick him, I'm gonna Facebook him or try to figure out a way to catch him on Twitter or whatever. And and basically, <laughs> well, it, it might be my fault. Who knows? <laughs> I'm gonna go with Devin Moran. I was gonna go with Josh Richards, but he's like so much of a non-factor that it's like painful to even talk about how bad he is right now. But Devin Moran is as good as he was at speed. His last five races, Bert, a 10th and a 12th, his last two at Volusia. Then he did get second over at Atomic, but an 11th and a 9th at Bristol. And quite honestly, if I wouldn't have been looking at my, my race pass, nobody would even have known he was there. He just was a non-factor the whole time for the most part. Didn't really show much speed. I'm not sure. I was surprised because he was super fast when he went to that track in West Virginia, that, that huge track. He was fast there. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if he's fast on that big five-eighths mile track, he'll be fast at Bristol. Come well, on, non-factor. He, he won a race at Bristol last year, didn't he? I think he might have. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not positive. I think, I think you might be right on that. But, but a 10th, 12th, 2nd, 11th, and 9th in his last five, as good as he started, he's starting to cool off quite a bit. So who do you have now? Let's jump well, off that. We had who's uh, not. Go ahead. Well, well uh, still on that subject, how much, do you, how much of a factor do you think it is that uh, he doesn't have all his crew members with him? Well, I mean, Wiley was at Volusia, right? And that's his last okay. two. And let's face it, the one night evolution locked on Robert, right? That last night or whatever. And then Atomic, his brother was there, but I don't I don't know if his brother was at Bristol or not. I don't know. I, I don't know. But that I mean, if that's the case, that, that could be a story. That could definitely that's something to keep an eye on. This, if somebody knows uh, was Wiley at Bristol um post in the comments because he showed no sign of the speed. Um I'll I'll be interested to see if that nine car is better this week. Um, cause it couldn't have really got much worse. I was quite surprised. I picked them both nights. I think I jinxed them. So let's jump into our sure bet of the week. And uh, my lock of the week, Bert, is Jay Schmidt real estate. So if you're out in South Dakota, if you need real estate transactions on, on commercial residential land, Jay's got over 20 years of experience in business alone, racing family. Of course, the Schmidt's have been around racing forever. Support those who support us, but my lock of the week jay schmidt real estate in watertown south dakota bert who's your lock of the week uh superman will will win at least one of the features at bristol this weekend superman at bristol so this week here bert illini 100 at farmer city and uh the illinois late model guys are tough right they are stout and i'm gonna say in the second night not the prelim night that's six thousand to win but night number two, I'm going to predict four of the top five are going to be from the Illini State in the feature at Farmer City. So with that said, let's jump on to the last lap brought to you by Zuli's Race Engines. Um, Frank Zuli, of course, building winning engines for a long time. Um, you, you look at his Facebook page, it's nonstop victory lane photos and winners um, from last year. There's going to be a whole lot more this year. There's still time. We've got a little time to get a new engine, get yours rebuilt. 
And if you're looking a different direction for engines, get a hold of Frank Zuli. He builds good power. If you can't beat him, you might as well join him. So first things first, Bert, did you happen to see, and I didn't have this on our list, but uh, over, I believe around, I don't know if it was around La Crosse or Madison or whatever, that there's a school in Wisconsin that was actually allowing high school students to letter in dirt track racing. Um, you sent me the story. I didn't get a chance to read it yet, but uh, um, I mean, I think that's a good thing. I mean, actually, I mean, there are a lot of high schools that don't even have shop classes anymore, right? Which, right. which is which is not good <laughs> for <laughs> racing that we love. Um, so I mean, it, it's good to see. Um, a school do something like that uh um maybe not necessarily encourage kids to do it but i mean gives them the accolades if you know for for participating in it yeah and i'll, I'll post that article um somebody shared it and i'll post it on the one to go show facebook page for people to see i believe somebody posted it on the 2020 race yeah. already in fact you could probably go there to check it out as well but, you know, I was talking to my buddy, Jeff Krause. He's like, if that can get interest in racing, that's great, right? Because it's not just the people that might drive it, but all of a sudden you got a, a few kids from that school that are racing and it's bringing awareness, right? Uh -huh. Because they might get some of their friends to come to the track and they might get some, some girls to come to the track and get more guys to come to the track, right? So it just brings more awareness. So I thought that was super cool. And, uh, that's uh, that's something we need to see more of, and I know Bemidji uh, over in Bemidji, Minnesota, they have a lot of youth racing over there. That might be something for them to check into with the school district over there to see if they can make something happen. It'd be kind of interesting to see if that can take off because I we need we need stuff like that. That's for sure. So Jim Eliason, uh, we talked about him a couple weeks back on episode number fourteen. And a former sponsor of mine, the Eliason family, they all own Lakehead Clutch and Brake, uh, tragically lost his life here a um, couple days back. I think it was health-related, um, but the Eliason family, a huge legacy in the Twin Ports. Of course, Chase Eliason, which is a relative, um, I'm not sure exactly, I think it's maybe a nephew or something along those lines, works for Hendricks Motorsports right now on the five teams, so you know, hats off to him for his success down there and thoughts and prayers to the Eliason family and everybody involved with them over in the Twin Ports. Um, racing in the area Bert, was supposed to start this weekend. Kind of knew it wouldn't, right? But uh, Cedar Lake Speedway, of course, canceling um, their opening weekend of racing and no surprise. And, and uh, I, I got to thank them, right? Because they could try to push it in there. Probably could even make it happen. But things are just way too expensive for people to be tearing up stuff on tracks that aren't ready. So I, I really like to see tracks that are starting early. If the weather's not cooperating, just cancel early. And there's enough racing to be had all year long. We don't need to go out and destroy stuff when tracks aren't ready to go. So well, and not, really not just destroying uh, race cars and stuff, but if you try to race on a track too early and it, it can take weeks to get the track back into a raceable condition than if you tear it up too bad. Yeah, it'd take cars a long time to get back into raceable <laughs> well, condition. Wow, that's too. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. So our picks here this, uh, 
our picks right now, our standings, a lot of movement because we had a lot of racing and Bert had been leading and uh, was that's past <laughs> no longer leading. Our very own late model expert, Jeff, has jumped into the lead at 31. And uh, Bert, you're at 29. Pook is at 28. I had some good movement, but I was so far behind. I'm still in fourth, right? So I got 25. And our buddy Mike, who watches the show, jumped on. He's at six. He started late. And, and he told me, he goes, I'm still going to catch you guys. I'm not, I'm not scared. <laughs> so Mike already talking a little smack there. So this week, our picks, Bert, we were going to pick, of course, the USMPS race. That already canceled. So we got Woo Sprints. That's tonight starting out Tuesday. We're doing the show at Votto. And then Friday and Saturday, Lotton, Oklahoma, and Mesquite, Texas. So three World of Outlaw sprint car races. The World of Outlaw late models, they're coming to Farmer City, Illinois, for the Illini 500. Friday, six grand to win. Saturday, 25,000 to win. And then, of course, the Bristol Dirt Nationals, Friday and Saturday, 50000 to win each of those. So little chance for some movement here this weekend. Um, what race are you personally, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? Um, probably the Illini. Uh, little, little track and good competition with the Illinois drivers. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, the Bristol Dirt Nationals, a lot of money on the line. Lots of money at stake, right? 50 grand to win both nights, $100,000 to the point champion for the four nights. And I think it's Davenport. Is it Davenport, Madden, Ricky? I think is what it is. And they're all separated by one point in the top three. That That's going to be interesting all by itself because here, here's a question all of a sudden they're they're battling for position right and they're they want to win but how much of a factor will that extra hundred grand for the point deal play on just how aggressive somebody gets in the feature event on saturday night well i mean it's it's going to be in their minds no doubt about it <laughs> yeah 100 100 grand at stake i think you're going to see some point racing it'll be interesting but uh, Illini 100, them Illinois late model guys, of course, one and two in the world of all off standings, right? You know, Dennis Herb Jr., Brandon, I think Brandon Shepard's in second, I think, both Illini guys. So they got some great late model guys over there. So, Bert, a lot of racing to be had. Hopefully uh, spring comes, pushes all the snow out. We can get to racing around here, and, and uh, I think we'll, we'll call that a show. We're both looking forward to that one. Keep an eye on, on the page. Keeping racers, again, just a quick reminder, get your cars and car shows, get your stuff out there, get your cars to schools, get people involved, post those pictures online, tag us in them. We want to see that, help promote the sport. We all need to do our part, us, us included. So with that said, I'm Ryan Aho. That is Bert Lehman. Thanks for tuning in to the One to Go Show. A production of Gold Sports Media, LLC.